Good morning, Victory Church, Victory Midtown. Good to see each and every one of you, not just in this room, online, in the overflow room over there, in the overflow room over here, and all the overflows. We give God praise for you. Can you put your hands together if you're glad to be in church this morning? Come on. It's good for us to be here today. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've come into this year with expectation. And this is the very first Sunday of 2024, and I'm glad to be here. And I know sometimes we will come in church and we're used to people kind of hyping us up and trying to get us excited, but I can't move past this moment without giving God an intentional, just maybe for about 15 seconds, praise break, because there were some things in last year that there were some times where I was hard-pressed on a few sides, that in that moment, I didn't necessarily have the opportunity to be able to see six, nine, ten months ahead. But right now, being on this first Sunday of 2024, I have a promise that's come to fulfillment that says I'm here, I'm still standing, I'm still moving forward, I'm still thriving, I'm still blessed, I still have my family, I still have have my mind. Some of y'all waiting on me to ramp up, but I'm already in. God said, if you are here and you are glad that you have breath in your body, you ought to just give God a great big hand clap of praise right now. Not because I'm saying hype be hype. I'm saying because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord in Jesus name. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Man, again, I I said this in a nine o'clock service. I try to sometimes just kind of run in and kind of say, okay, we're going to have a nice little message today. But every time I start to think about God's goodness, causes me to pause. And I just want to say to you, never forget, never lose the intentionality of giving God praise, even what seems like the small things. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, listen, this is the first Sunday, and we're getting ready to jump into a brand new series And as we talked about last week, if you were here, I gave some instructions for the new year. And if you have not had the opportunity to first listen to that message, please go back and listen to the message. Not just because it was like a New Year's address, but I believe that that was the instruction of the Lord for us this year so that we can truly move forward with God. And as I gave that message last week, there were other things that started to bubble up in me. And today, as we even talked about um, moving forward with God, last week I said at the end of every year and at the beginning of every year, you get this opportunity to reflect and project. And so what I'm excited about is that we have an opportunity, and I'm projecting in the spirit that there's some great and amazing things that God just doesn't want to do to me. There are some things that he wants to do for me, but there's also some things he wants to do in me, and he wants him to come through me. Are you in agreement with that, that you believe that God wants to do some things in you and through you this year? Amen. I believe so. And so as we project this year, what we're doing is that we're starting this time off, and we're saying, welcome. Whether this is your very first time here at Victory Midtown, at Victory Church, or you've been here with us for years, I say this intentionally because you could have been anywhere else. Welcome to Victory Church. Welcome to Victory Church. And now I emphasize that. I emphasize that word church today. Not just because it's this opening, this welcome that we want to say just to kind of go through the motions. I say that word church with emphasis because we're actually going to spend a few weeks talking about church, talking about the why, talking about the what, talking about the purpose and the original intent. Why? Because like me, I'm sure you've been in rooms, environments where 
There have been several people around, but all of you may have a different definition of what a word is. A person may say something, they may use a particular term, and if you're not careful, you can assume that someone's thinking with the same definition of a word that you are. But you'll surely find out as you start to navigate and walk that we're not even talking about the same thing. And so we want to make sure that we bring some not just definition, but some purpose to what we call church. Amen? Amen. And so here's the thing. I need us to understand the first big statement of the day. In its inception, church was intended to be a movement. Say the word movement. Church was intended to be a movement. And what I know just like you is if we look around, a lot has changed. And a lot of times when we go around, we will actually see different versions of what should be the same thing. But like me, I'm sure you've seen, depending on what church building you show up in, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how somebody's going to approach it. You don't know what prayers are going to be prayed. You don't know what kind of music is going to be there. You don't know what kind of ideology they're going to have. But you can say you are committed to the things of the Lord, but there's a whole lot of different understandings of what is called church. And so as we go through today, we're not just trying to give a lesson. We want to be clear about what we're already participating in so that we can move forward in strength and intentionality. And so If you didn't know, the church was intended to be a place that was actually called to walk in the understanding that Jesus Christ is and was the only Savior of the world and who our souls could be saved. He was and is the one who is the King and the Lord of our lives, who was one who did exactly what he said he was going to do, and he's still having action today. Can I get an amen? And as we look at this today, we want to make sure that we really understand it. And so let's just dive in a little bit to a little bit of understanding and teaching. The etymological study of the word church, it actually starts from this place in the Greek, this word in the Greek. The the original language of the New Testament was Greek. And so the Greek word for church was ekklesia, ekklesia. And that word means an assembly or a gathering, an assembly or a gathering. When you break it down further, you can break that word down into two syllables, and you have ek, E-K. That means out of. Say out of. But when you keep moving, the next part of that is kalau. It's spelled K-A-L-E-O, and that means called out. Say called out. And so when we understand these words together, what it's actually saying is that the ecclesia means a gathering of people who are called out of where they are and assembled around an idea. Let me say that one more time. We're going to level set. It is a called out. It's a gathering of people who are called out of where they are and assembled around an idea. And so what we need to clearly know is that when Jesus was walking the earth, he had 12 disciples. That's where it started. That was his ecclesia. And if you know like I know, that ecclesia, they changed the world. But how many of you know it was not supposed to stop there? It's supposed to keep going. But over the years, what we've seen is that people have began to think that church is a place you went. Instead of it being a gathering of people around an idea, we kind of just dumb church down to a building with four walls, to a place where we can shout a little bit, where we can praise a little bit, where we can sing a little bit. But our English word church, it doesn't actually come from the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from the German word kirsha, kirsha. Doing a little teaching right now. That word is spelled K-I-R-C-H-E. 
And that means a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. So watch this. Over time, the idea of church, it shifted from a group of people assembled to advance a truth of Jesus to just coming around for a religious exercise. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just going through religious exercises. I don't know about you, but my time is valuable. If I'm going to carve out an hour and a half, let's just call it two and a half hours once you get up and get dressed and drive and park and take the shuttle and come inside, and then you go back on the shuttle and leave, I don't have time to just come and sit in a religious exercise. For me in my house, I'm saying there is something, someone that I'm seeking that I want to come with intention because I expect change. I expect the shift in my life. I expect to be different. If you don't expect to be different when you leave here, I'm going to give you about five seconds to get up and leave right now because I believe that the assignment of the Holy Spirit right now is here targeting you in the middle of your heart. And if you open up your mouth and open up your heart and not harden your heart, God says, I will change you. And so as we're here talking about what the real purpose of church is, again, our experience has varied. When you look around on many occasions, we see today in the state of the church, the church has become many times politicized, many times monopolized, often criticized. And if we look around, a lot of the leaders of said churches, unfortunately, in this day and time, are being idolized. But can I tell you, just in case you didn't know, that was not the way it was intended to be from the beginning. Church was supposed to be a place where we come around this idea of Jesus and his strength and his salvation and his sacrifice for us so that we can live and breathe the living word. I love how it was said by Richard Halverson. He said this. He was a theologian. He was a preacher. He was a chaplain. He said this. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Yeah, on this first Sunday of the new year, we're going to talk about it. Can we be honest for a second? When we look at the church and when we look at what's going on, I would venture to say that we could agree on the fact that the big C church in some ways has gotten a little bit off track. But what I have hope in, I have hope that the word says that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But how many of you know you have to be walking in the authentic version of what you're supposed to be in order to be effective? And the great thing about our God is that throughout the years, he has kind of just pricked the heart of certain individuals called reformers. Over the years, reformers are those people who take something that's off track, who take the church and say, okay, I'm going to stand not on business, I'm going to stand on Jesus. I'm going to make sure that I take what's been off track, take what's been polluted, take what's been diluted, and I want to bring it right back. And a lot of times, we know the reformers like Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. We have reformers named John Calvin. But I believe that we're not limited to reformers of those names. I believe I look around this room and I see a reformer named Amber, a reformer named Elizabeth, a a reformer named Lulu, a reformer named Kendra, a a reformer named Stacy, a reformer named John. What am I saying? I'm looking around this room and I'm seeing the people who are tired of being sick and tired. 
I'm looking around a room and I see people, I feel this in my spirit, some people who have been searching all over, looking for the real Jesus. And I want you to do this with me because sometimes we diminish who we actually are when God says that you are great. And so I need you to do me a favor on this first Sunday. I need to give you a first uh, look at your neighbor of the new year. And I need you to look at somebody next to you and just say this with me. Say, I believe. Some of y'all looking straight. Come on, I'm going to give you one more chance. Y'all don't think I'll be paying attention. In the overflows, I need you to do this well. Online, if you're by yourself, say yes to the spirit right now. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I believe that I'm looking at someone who can make a difference for God. Come on, the other person needs to say it right now because some of y'all just listened. I need you to be active right now. Say it right now. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Say, I believe I'm looking at someone who can make a difference for God. If you're a person that wants to make a difference for God, come on, just put those hands together right there. Come on, if you really believe it, overflow, I need to hear you right now. If you believe that God has called you not just to exist, but to stand up and be counted in the things of the Lord. I need you to know that you are not called to just participate. You are called to be a part of being the answer. And so as we look at this again, I believe, listen, that we're in a season of reformation. What we cannot do is look around this room, look around our overflow rooms, look around this community, even all the Victory Churches, and assume what's happening here is happening everywhere. There are churches dying off. There are churches where nobody's coming. There are churches where people are, are kind of skewing and trying to uh, go with certain popular ideologies to actually appease the ears. But I will let you know that upon this rock, we will build this church. Amen. What am I saying? When Peter was walking in the earth, I remember the story where Jesus looked at him and he asked him a question because there were so many people looking and calling Jesus all type of things. He said, yeah, a lot of people are calling me this, Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, some call you a prophet. Some call you the Messiah. And Jesus said, hold up, wait a minute. I ain't worried about what they're saying. Who do you say that I am? My question to you is who do you say Jesus is? Peter answered that question confidently. He says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, you've been studying good. And he said, upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church. Can I tell you today, we will always build this church on the rock of Jesus. We will build this church on the revelation of who God is, not what popular opinion says. And so in this time of being reformers, we have to know that we're going to say some things. We're going to do some things. We're going to have laser focus, blinders on to make sure that we're in line with what the rock of Jesus stands for, not what the world says. And so as we reform, here it is. I need to say this, make this statement. It's time out for casual Christianity. It's time out for us just coming and being okay with attending a, a Christian social club. Can I say this? I'm happy that we like to come here. I'm happy that you tell your friends that, hey, man, you know, the music is great. The, the lights are great. The cameras are great. But how many of you know the light's not going to save your life? The worship pastor is not going to be able to come and actually do something when you're in depression and you need God to move. The pastor, me, or whoever's speaking up here is not going to be able to pull you out of that place of sin when you're tempted. You're going to have to know that I have to be founded on the rock of Jesus and not all the trappings. 
And so if we're going to do this, we have to make sure that we're a people who are anchoring on the truth of Jesus, that we're anchoring around being Jesus-centered, being a Jesus-centered movement. And so here's our focus for today. This is a, a question. It's an interrogative question. It's in your notes. If you're taking notes, write this down, screenshot it, share it out. But I need to ask this question. Is the church a place you attend or is it a movement of God that you're personally a part of? Let me ask that question again. Is the church a place you attend or is it the movement of God that you are personally a part of? When we ask that question, it leads us to a sub-question. What is the church supposed to be like? Because we all have a lot of different things that we look at, but we want to level set today. So this question, it takes us to the scriptures in the book of Acts. If you were with us last year, you know that we spent a whole lot of time in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this year, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts. We don't necessarily know if we're going to spend the whole year, but we know we're going to start in Acts. Why? Because the book of Acts is called Acts because it's about action. <laughs> and again, if you're a person that just wants to be sedentary, if you're a person that just wants to be lazy, if you're a person that just wants to come and kind of hear a good Bible message that you'll never refer to, again, you got about three seconds you can leave right now, but I got a, something to tell you. It's a little contagious in here. And if you sit around here long enough and as we preach this word and as we hear this and you take it to heart, you are going to be forced to let those feet go to action as you believe what God said about you. So here it is. If we're not careful, we will continue to operate in common, casual Christianity and church as usual. But the God I serve and the God many of you serve, the God we are worshiping right now is not common, nor is he boring. Now, some of y'all are like, okay, that's why I don't want to get saved because, you know, those Christian folks, you know, they don't ever have fun. I want to say I have fun. I have a whole lot of fun. The only difference is the fun I have now, it leads me to life and not death. The fun I have now, now I'm not hung over, I'm high and lifted up. The fun I have now, now I can still look somebody in the face the next day after I had all that fun, amen? And so we want to make sure that we serve this God. Some of y'all just reminiscing over there, mind your business. But we want to make sure that we are really tapping into who God is and what he said about us. And so I want to let you in on my prayer, and I want to just give a quick commercial real quick. If you are not, and you've never attended Saturday morning prayer here at Victory Midtown at 8 a.m., you are missing a move of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we prayed into this yesterday, and God started to move and started to show us things. And I believe he's going to continue to do this. So I want to challenge many of you during this fast, come on, start coming to Saturday morning prayer and watch God meet you right there where you are. But here's my prayer that I want to share with you. The prayer is this, really, a statement and a question. It's that God would radically shift us into the version of ourselves that we were intended to be. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you, as Kendra and I and our staff pray for you, our prayer is that you no longer are living on a low level. That you understand that before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. He ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. What does that mean? You might not be on a stage preaching, but it means that God wants to send you out to this world around you to have impact for his kingdom. And so for too long, what we do is that we sit in the, the body of Christ in the state of being immobilized, of being stagnant, of walking injured. And just walking in a small version of who God called us to be. But how many of you know a lot of times there are spiritual parallels 
to things that happen in the natural. Here recently, I walked through a spiritual parallel of this. And I recently experienced the injury, like in my hip and in my sciatica. And I started going into physical therapy. And I started going into physical therapy, and my therapist, he, he diagnosed me, he watched me, he looked at these things, and he said to me, he said, I need to let you know that the muscles that you need to do the activities that you want to do, golf, they're a little weak. And I looked at him, I said, don't you see me? I work out about five to six days a week. I'm strong. What you talking about? And he looked at me in a very humble way. He said, consider, consider that you might be spending too much time on the show muscles and not enough time on the go muscles. I said, I feel attacked. <laughs> but when he said that, he kept going. And, and, and I said, what do you mean? He said, your muscles that you haven't been using are actually experiencing this word called atrophy. And they're experiencing atrophy because of the lack of activity. And in the same way that my body was starting to respond to some of those things, I believe it's a parallel to the body of Christ that a lot of the areas that we find ourselves lacking in, a lot of the areas that people in the name of God are falling in sin, a lot of the areas where leaders are being found falling is because we're not exercising the real go muscles. We're not exercising the muscles of fasting. We're not exercising the muscles of spiritual disciplines. We're not exercising the muscles of reading our word. We are so concerned about the lights, the cameras, the action, that we are actually dying away in the front of the people. But I believe that we have hope. I believe that the spirit of the living God wants to breathe new breath into atrophied spiritual bodies right now and allow us to start using what he called us to use for his glory and for his kingdom so we can wake up. Somebody say wake up. But in order to wake up, we have to be intentional. And so we have to be intentional and take action. Somebody say take action. So again, when we look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is full of accounts with godly men and godly women that were about their life. That they didn't just talk about it. They said we are about it. There are people that walk through the things in Acts that really shook up the world. And so you'll probably hear even the book of Acts referred to in other ways. Sometimes it's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so for those who are not familiar, you can find the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts. It's a book that was written by Luke. And a lot of times people say that Luke was an educated man. They say he's probably a doctor. And what I'm glad about is that as he was capturing the, the first part of the church's history, I'm thankful that God does not move people to the side that have an educational background. He can use you for the things of the Spirit. Somebody with a degree in here might need to say amen. amen. And so what we see, just for a little church history, we see Luke making an account. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke starts off like this. He says, in my former book, he's talking about the book of Luke. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. See, let's pause for a second. There's already a lot going on right here in the scripture. A quick piece of Bible history is that Luke is talking to someone named Theophilus. And this was either someone that Luke was evangelizing, mentoring, it's someone who had maybe commissioned the book to be written, 
Or a lot of theologians say that because the word Theophilus actually means one who God's love, that he could actually have been speaking to the church at large. And so we see this in context. And what I love about this is that Luke, he says, okay, I said this before in my first book in Luke. In that time, I was writing all about what Jesus did. But in Acts, I'm writing about what he has, what he's doing now and what he's still doing in and through you. And so let's pick him up right here. Luke bridges the end of the book of Luke with the beginning of Acts. And this is so packed with power. He says in verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to be, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He's talking about Jesus during the time of Pentecost. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that the father has set for his own authority. Here's verse 8. That's a very hinged scripture. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? A little cliff note, I believe that's what the church is doing right now. God is moving. He's saying, I'm giving you power, but we're sitting around looking around for the rapture. We're sitting around looking and waiting for something else to happen. He goes on and says, this same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here it is. Let's summarize. So Jesus dies for the sins of the world. He rises and appears to his disciples. And they ask him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel today? In other words, he says, are you going to kill them all? They've been after you. Are you going to just kill everybody and set the record straight? And Jesus says, you need to just go back home and wait. He said, you need to go ahead and simmer down because those very same people that you want me to kill right now, I'm going to need to utilize you to go save them later. Can I give you a little commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ? Some of y'all are praying, you know, damnation on some people, but God is saying you need to shift your prayers and understand that you are actually used to be a tool to go get them. And I know we don't want to hear that sometimes. You're like, you don't know how they treated me. God says, how did you treat me? And so we open our eyes to see that he's saying, just chill for a minute. I'm going to use you to actually deliver them. And so right here, he's telling them, you're so consumed with me coming back when you should be consumed with what are you supposed to be doing while I'm gone? Let me say this. A lot of times we get mad when God tells us to wait. But a little clue is that whenever God says wait, we can have confidence because he's saying wait because while you wait, I'm at work. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I was impatient. There were times in my life where I was trying to accelerate prayers, thinking that if I prayed longer, something was going to happen greater. But God is saying the length of time of you praying is not going to move me. 
Obedience in me is what's going to move me. And so he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, I'm not pulling you out of this world. Stop looking for the rapture. Stop looking for you just to get saved and then die and go to heaven. See, see, I love the fact that we celebrate that Jesus is coming back because he is coming back. But what I loathe sometimes is that sometimes people so focused on that that they live an unconditional, uh, mediocre, unsustained life waiting and praying to the sky. And God is saying, what are you doing right here? And the challenge with the body of Christ at large is that there are a whole lot of people justifying and spiritualizing laziness. And so as we look at this, he's saying, I'm not pulling you out of this world. I'm intentionally sending you back in. And right there, Jesus commissions all of them to be witnesses. I like really explaining words because sometimes we, we speak in Christianese. We leave church and we didn't understand nothing the preacher said. But when we look at the word commission, I put this in your notes. Commission means to authorize or to send on a mission. But I love that when we talk about commissioning, we're not talking about doing it alone. Another key for you as you read your Bible this year, when you're reading certain words, don't just speed past them because sometimes as you break them down and slow down, there are two words in one word. Co-mission. When you talk about co-mission, that means you're doing it with assistance. And the assistance that we get is the assistance from the Heavenly Father, from the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus himself. And he's telling us, go, but don't do it alone because I'm with you. So in every gospel and in Acts, what we see is that there's a great commission because this is so important. One of the most popular pieces of the great commission, we read it all the time in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what? Go. Therefore, do what? Go. Therefore, do what? Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here it is, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The rest of the commissions, the full scriptures are in your notes, but I just want to highlight some of the action words. In Mark 16, 15, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. If you haven't noticed, that's the scripture that's over our doors as you leave, because I want every time you leave this place that you receive the word and you don't let it die on the inside of you, but you leave the word understanding that I'm a preacher. I might not have a microphone, but with my life, I'm going out here and I'm preaching the word to my neighbors. I'm preaching the word to my family. I'm preaching the word to my coworkers. It goes on in Luke 24, verse 46. It says, you are witnesses of these things. In John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. These commissions, again, are all filled with action words. I want to ask this question. Has anybody ever in here, you, you started a job and you were given a job description? Anybody by show of hands? Some of y'all are like, I never read it, but. <laughs> I want to say very clearly that we need to understand our job description. Because if you're like me and you've, you've managed people in different businesses and you've you know, over, uh, saw, overseen staff, you can tell when you have not really explained the job description to your employees because everybody's doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. 
But here is the job description of the believer. We are a sent people. The job description of a believer is that I am to be on the move, which means if you find yourself sitting stagnant, if you find yourself in inactivity, if you find yourself being a consumer only of the things of God, you're not operating in your job description. But when God tells us we are a sent people, we are now to stand up because watch what happens. If we don't operate in our job descriptions, we will settle for making church a monument when it was intended to be a movement. And the reason why people are so frustrated in things in the church is because when we should have been moving, we're stagnant. And I learned this principle years ago. This is for me personally, and I think this is going to be for some people in the house. The times where I got myself in the most flesh trouble, the most sin, was when I was supposed to be on a move doing something else, but I was sitting doing something and I was stagnant. The times where I was sitting doing something outside of my actual job description are the times where God looked at me and said, you put yourself in that situation. And so I'm here to let you know, you don't actually need to pray for God to deliver you much anymore. You just need to do what he already told you to do. I'm hearing this by the authority of Jesus Christ. Your deliverance is in your movement according to his word. See, some of y'all want somebody to pray for you and put some oil on your head, and God is saying, just start taking a step. The reason why you're in hell, because you're sitting in hell. The reason why you're in that destructive relationship, because you're sitting in that relationship. When I told you to move, you didn't move. The Bible says, when you hear my word, harden not your heart. And so we have to be a people of movement. We cannot settle for just coming to church, attending a service, doing our once a month deposit and saying, God, I'm here. We have to be people who say, I know I'm called to go into hell. I'm called to go into this hellish world, into this hell-bound environment because God has equipped me. Now, if you're not delivered from that particular thing, don't go over there. Let me just give that caveat. Some of y'all will be calling me next week saying, Pastor, you told me to go to the strip club. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not tell you to do that. But we are called to go in specific areas to bring the light. And so here's what I'm talking about. The challenge with the body of Christ at large at times, I'm speaking in general, 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 generalities. I can't talk at this moment. Here's the thing. We have too many capping Christians in the body of Christ. What do I mean by that? Too many people saying they're about something and they're not really about it. Too many people saying that I have experienced something, but you won't tell anybody about what you've experienced. What am I talking about? Let me read this quote by the OG Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He gave bars on this one, y'all. He says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Listen, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is this high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, 
You are like ones that found honey. You will call others to taste of his sweetness. You are like a beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You will go tell the hungry, the crowd, that you have found Jesus. And you are anxious that they should find him too. I believe if Charles Spurgeon was living in 2024, he would say it like this. When it comes to me really wanting to express how good God has been to me because he's changed my life, I'm going to put up a meme and you're going to be sick of me. He would say to us, because of how good God has been to me, you're about to be sick of me because I'm always going to tell about the goodness of Jesus. I'm never going to hold it back. I'm never going to dumb it down. I'm never going to shroud my faith because God has done too much for me. Do I have about 13 people in the room, in the overflow, that God has been so good to you that you can't help but talk about it? You can't help but give him praise. You can't help but be on the move because he told you what to do and you're following in his footsteps. Here's the thing. The entire essence of your Christian life cannot be built around you just attending a church service. Because if that's the case, we will all find ourselves spiritually sterile. What do I mean? Where you're having a whole lot of action and movement, but there's no production. Where you're doing all the things, going through the motions, but no birth happens. But when you're potent with the things of the Lord, when you're operating in the freedom and the liberty of who Christ has made you to be, when you're excited about what he has done and what he's doing in you, you are so contagious that every time you show up somewhere, they're going to be like, what's wrong with you? It's not about what's wrong with me. It's about everything that's right with me. And I'm praising God through my lifestyle, showing you that God is good. And so as we open ourselves to be those who are fruitful, hear this. Yes, we are called to gather. So let me say that. It is very important that we gather here on Sundays, that we gather in small groups, that we gather together. But we are intended to gather in order to scatter. Can I say it like this? You might want to write this down. We are to gather to worship, but to scatter to witness. Let me say it again. We're to gather to worship, but we're to scatter to witness. And as we look at this, we're to scatter to carry out the good news of Jesus. What is the good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. This is what Jesus calls us to witness in. And so let's bring this around. When we focus on Acts 1-8, It's very important for us to understand, as he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Notice he says be and not do. Notice he does not say, and you will do witnessing. There's a big difference between what you are doing and who you are. Because if you think you are only supposed to do, then you'll use the excuse, well, I didn't go to witnessing school. You'll use the excuse, well, I don't know the right way to do it. But when you understand that you're called to be it, what you're doing is that you are being an example of who God has made you to be, how he's affected your life, where it's evident to other people that they have no choice but to see it. And so when we are those who are being a witness, what does it mean? A witness is someone who communicates accurately 
about what they have personally seen and experienced. Can you just put your hand on your chest right now? Come on. Say, I am a witness. I am to share what I have personally seen, heard, and experienced. See, nobody can talk you out of what you've personally heard. Nobody can talk you out what you've personally seen, what you've personally experienced. And the thing about it, what I see when I look out into the world today, is not that we don't have the ability to witness, to share what we've seen and experienced. The challenge is that we use our energy witnessing for the shade room. We use our energy witnessing on ATL Scoop. We're quick to pull out our cell phones and tell somebody. But what about we need to tell somebody about Jesus? We're waiting on other people to do it. We're waiting on the the preachers to do it. We're waiting on the pastors to do it. And God says, you ought to be my witness. That's your job description. Y'all remember the old days when people used to use tracks? Some of y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about. There were these little pamphlets that people that wanted you to get saved, they would have the gospel in it, and they would just kind of throw it at you and say, I hope you get saved. They would strategically leave them in bathrooms because they say, I saw this person come in. I'm going to go in there. I hope they see it. And God, listen to this. That might be an effective measure for some people. But how many of you know you're supposed to be the track? We've settled for a layup in the spirit, and God wants us to slam dunk. We've settled for just allowing people to have a chance of maybe meeting and seeing Jesus instead of seeing the Jesus that's inside of us. And so we are to be witnesses. And what it means to be a witness is wherever you are, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself in God, you're supposed to exemplify that. So what does that mean to be a witness? When you see somebody hurting, you don't just see them hurting and say, I'm going to pray for you. You stop right there and you pray for them. When you see somebody, you ask them how they're doing, and they say, hey, I'm not feeling too well. You don't say, okay, I'm going to send you to the grocery store to get something as a prescription. You say, no, can I pray for you right now? Because I believe that the stripes of Jesus says you are healed right now in Jesus' name. When you see somebody mourning, going through some stuff, going through a tough time, you don't just say, uh, I'm thinking about you sending good vibes. No, you say, I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to mourn with you. I'm going to stand with you until you can get yourself back on your feet. We are to be witnesses. Because when we're a witness, we're doing all that God called us to do through the form of being the answer he's called us to be. Here's the thing. Your words show it. Your life shows it, and everything in your living holy shows it. And I had this thought, because as we, many of us see many ads come through our phone, and and we see, how did they know I was thinking about that? How did they know that I wanted that? Because there's a geo-tracking on you. There's a watching, there's an observation of your habits. Can, Can I say something to you? You are a sponsored ad by God, geo targeted to some people that he's placed you on assignment for. If you don't know what I'm saying by that, there are people in your life that I can never reach. There are people in your life that I will never see. Don't just send them the link to the YouTube to watch the message. You go study the message, be the message, and show up in their lives and walk with them so that they can understand God has a target on me. And so where are we to witness? Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8. He says again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love how God is so clear because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus in four places. Again, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when I say that, some of y'all are kind of opting out because you're like, I don't even have a passport. But I said this in the 9 o'clock service, and I'll say it again right now. I believe that might even be a prompting by the Lord for you right now because some of us have been saying, I want to change the world, but you're stuck in Decatur. Some of us are saying, God, I want to be used by you, but you've not gone and taken the step to be equipped to be ready to be used by him. And so he's not necessarily just talking about a geographical location in these four areas. He's actually talking about these places as four concentric circles. Follow me. When we talk about Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, these were the last words spoken by Jesus. And what I love about the history of Victory Church is that over 30 years ago, our founding pastor said, hey, when someone says something as the last thing that they say, you might want to take note. And what better thing for us to rally around and and build the church on than his words? And so the church was built on these themes that correspond with these areas. Go ahead and look around. If you look around on the the walls, you may have never noticed them before. But on the walls at every one of our campuses, we have these four pillars, building families, transforming communities, reconciling cultures, and impacting nations. This is representative of these areas that we're called to be witnesses in. And so what we see right here, this is the heartbeat of the church here at Victory. Let me explain. First, we're talking about Jerusalem. For them, Jerusalem was their backyard. Jerusalem really infers home. And so for us, when we are called to be witnesses, God first calls you, hear this very carefully, God first calls you to be a witness in your family. That's hard for some of us because how many of you know, our family sometimes are the hardest people to get to know that we actually have changed. But if you're consistent, what he's saying to us Through this scripture, he's saying, don't go out here trying to do something over there and you have not even talked to your spouse. Don't go out out here and try to witness to the people over here and your cousin is going to hell. He's saying, start with your home first. When Victory started this years ago, we felt a burden for the state of the family. We looked out and we saw in the world the state of fatherlessness. We looked out and saw the state of single mothers. We looked out and saw economic crisis. We looked out and saw a leadership crisis. We looked out and saw the sexuality crisis. And what we said is that we believe Jesus can solve this. And because we said this, we opened ourselves up and we said for over decades, we know that Jesus has been at work in the families. Let me tell you testimonies. We've seen singles right here at Victory and at Victory Midtown break generational curses. We've literally seen those who were divorced, we've seen marriages come back together. We've seen husbands re-engage into the family. We've seen wives that may have been caught up in adultery come back and repent. We've seen kids saved right here because why? We believe, as the Bible says, where man thinks things are impossible, we believe with God all things are possible. And here's the thing. I want to make this very clear. Here at Victory Church, especially if you have kids in here, you know this. We kind of flip the script. A lot of churches, they will babysit the kids and invest everything into the adults. We flip it. If you didn't know, this is actually the babysitting corner right here. (laughs) That corridor where our children are, that's where we are raising future leaders. That's where we're starting at two weeks old, giving them the gospel. 
That's where we're starting, even as we prayed yesterday, that one-year-olds and two-year-olds will be filled with the Holy Spirit, that there will be breakouts in the Spirit in that corridor, that they will go home and be the witnesses to their family saying, Mommy, we got to go to church. We late. And so we invest so much in the children because we know that if the family is strong, the world is strong. And so we believe in making sure that we have youth ministry, middle school ministry, young adult ministry that we started last year because we're saying that if we can make sure that the family is strong, we can actually change the world. The second place, the second place, where are we called to be witnesses? Judea. This is where we talk about transforming communities. I said this before we even moved over into this building. I said, when we move over there, we want to make sure that we're not just so focused on all the things overseas and we miss our backyard. That we want to be good neighbors, that we want to add value to the neighborhood around us, to the community around us. Because your job is actually your mission field. The place where you're set around, your home and your neighborhood is where you're supposed to actually give God praise and actually show the light of Christ. This is why we started house churches. Because we're saying it's not just relegated to the physical location of 1429 Fairmont. We want to make sure that the gospel is traveling. That's why we have a community transformation team that goes out. I'm looking around. Some of you are on that team. That's why we partner with organizations like Atlanta Mission that's actually combating homelessness. We partner with organizations called Frontline Response that actually combat human sex trafficking. Why? Because there's no way that we're going to gather all these people in here and not make a change in our community. Gone are the days for, for shouting on a Sunday and doing nothing all through the week. I have nothing against shouting, but you need to take that shout into the streets. You need to take that shout into the neighborhoods. Take that shout into your jobs and make sure that you are actually creating change in what God wants you to do. And if you're in here today, let me just say this last thing. We want to help you. We want to help you be a part of that change. The thing that should be our testimony is that if we were to ever leave this neighborhood, the testimony shouldn't be from the neighbors where all we miss is the traffic. The testimony should be that I hate to see them go because they were such good neighbors, because they added so much to the community. That's a little place for me to give a commercial. Don't park in front of these people's houses, y'all. <laughs> we want to be good neighbors. We want to make sure that we're continuing able, able to be a good witness to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen? Here's the thing. As we look at this again, Samaria is the next place. And Samaria represents in the Bible the arch nemesis of the Jews. But what happens in that time, they live right next to each other, just like we do here today. And so when we talk about Samaria, that is the pillar that actually deals with reconciling cultures. Now, let me just spend a quick moment on this because this is so important. When I talk about reconciliation, I'm not talking about integration. I'm not talking about toleration. When I say reconciliation, I'm talking about healing. I'm talking about coming together, one with another, submitting one to another. Hear me, I'm not talking about a melting pot. Because if you're talking about a melting pot, somebody got to burn down for somebody to come up. I'm talking about a cultural mosaic, which means that I need each and every factor that you bring, no matter what culture you are, there are things that you walk in that I don't walk in. There are things that I have knowledge of that you don't have knowledge in. But if I'm so concerned with only aligning with my skin folk, I will miss the blessing of my kinfolk. If I'm so aligned with black excellence that I miss kingdom excellence, then I will miss the true call of God. I know it's getting a little tight in here. 
In case you did not know, let me just say this. This is not a black church. I know it's a little darkness around here. <laughs> darkness. Everybody darkness. This is not a black church. This is not a white church. This is not an Indian church, an Asian church. This is a kingdom church. Come on, I need a bigger amen than that. Some of y'all might not come back next week. That's okay, but we're going to be here being a kingdom church. Why? Because gone are the days of living a multicultural life but living a homogeneous church life. Gone are the days of us settling for the fact that the blood of Jesus is strong, to, strong enough to save us, but it's not strong enough to unite us. And I just need to stop and say this for a moment. Yes, I'm a black man in black skin, but I love my white brothers and sisters in this room and who, are, who might be watching online just as much as I love my black brothers and sisters. No cap. I love my Asian brothers and sisters just as much as I love my black brothers and sisters. I love my African brothers and sisters just as much as I love my African-American brothers and sisters. Y'all know there's some different stuff going on out here. Listen to this. I love my Caribbean brothers and sisters just as much as I love my black and brown brothers and sisters. Why am I saying this? Because if we're not careful, we will get caught up into the trap of this world instead of understanding we live by another kingdom. Does that mean that I don't believe in operating in excellence? Absolutely not. I believe in operating in true excellence, but I want to see kingdom excellence. I want to see everybody rising up. I don't have to put somebody else down for me to stand up because all of us are called more than conquerors. Can I get some agreement in this room and say, we are a kingdom people operating under a kingdom word, operating on a kingdom assignment in Jesus' name. Here it is, as we do life together, the last one that we need to look at because we're so much better together is that he said that we are to be called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Right there, that means that we're to impact nations. And one of the challenges with the body of Christ at large is that oftentimes we've spent so much time getting rich towards ourselves while so many other people are in poverty around the world. We have so much excess that sometimes we don't look at who could actually yield from our excess. And that's why from the beginning, this body of believers called Victory Church focused in on saying this gospel is going to encompass people all over the world being able to receive the benefit of what God has for us. And that's why we started house churches in places like South Africa and Jamaica and Vietnam. That's why we do mission trips every single year. That's why this church, we give as witnesses 20% of all income every single week to missionaries and to things that are actually supporting people overseas and right here in the United States for the cause of Christ. That's why every month we actually send out, every month now, 125,000 to 80 missionaries across the world. Because we believe that it's not just enough for us to be comfortable here. We are to be those who are kingdom people impacting the world. We said it already, Pastor Jamal did. Y'all, we gave over a million dollars to Christmas gift to the world. Why? Because we set a standard at the beginning of saying, we're not just going to be about us right here. We're going to be about the world out there. Amen? Amen? So here it is as I close this out. Because we are witnesses in these areas, when people say or you hear us say, welcome to Victory Church, 
We want to let you know, yes, we're a people that are gathering and attending the same place. But I want to give you that definition. It's bigger than that. Look at this on the screen. Our definition is that victory is going to be a place and is a place, a family of God who is gathered around the gospel and empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus in their families, their communities, the cultures, and the nations. That's what we mean when we say, welcome to victory. Not just this little church program on a Sunday, but a movement to change the world. I know sometimes I get excited up here, but I can't help but to be excited about God giving me an opportunity to co-mission with him. And I want to let you know, you're a part of that mission. You have a part to play. And so it's time, absolutely time for us to be witnesses of the fullness of who God called us to be. To not just read the Great Commission as a historical document, but to know the Great Commission as a charge for us to walk in each and every day. Can you stand on your feet for me? As we get ready to close today, all over the room, in every overflow room, we just are getting started with this study in the book of Acts. But I want to let you know that as we continue, we're going to see where we came from. We're going to talk about the state of the church now. And we're going to make sure that we are moving forward in the way that we're supposed to go. Because God says we're to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads all over the room, every overflow online. I want to pray right now for all of us because, God, you've called us to be witnesses. And I declare right now in the name of Jesus, we will not just hear this as a sermon, but we will hear this as a corrective charge to come out of our sleep, to move forward, to stop being stagnant people, but to be people on the move. Father, I thank you right now that you have called us to prosper and to be in good health, but you've called us to carry the gospel. And so, Father, I pray for empowerment for us. I pray that as we leave this place that we see over the door that we're to go out and preach to all creation and that we preach with our lives more than we even preach with our words. Father, as we get ready to leave today, there are some people that came that for the very purpose of them coming today, it was for them to give their lives to Jesus. That they said on this first Sunday of the year, I want to make sure that I don't go another step without Jesus being my Lord and my Savior and leading me forward. If you're in here right now and you want to dedicate your life, you want Jesus to really become the Lord and Savior of your life so that you can be born again and have his assistance on earth but also walk in eternal life, just throw your hand up while every head is bowed. I see hands all over the room. There are hands in the overflow up. There's hands all over the building. With those hands up all over the room, let's pray this prayer, all of us with, with so much power and authority. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are the son of God. I thank you for your sacrifice. And right now I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things. And I turn to move forward with you. I need your empowerment to live for you, to be directed by you, to glorify you. Today I say you are my Lord and my Savior. And I am a child of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Can you give God a great round of applause right now? Come on, I'm not talking about for me, for the message. I said, can you give God a great round of applause? Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. We thank God for you. Victory Church, you are sent to walk this thing out as we continue in Jesus' name.